Welcome to Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. While you are there, you can learn more about who we are as a church, see the time and locations of our weekend gatherings, and see the different reoccurring ministries that happen on a weekly basis. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. So this morning we're, we're going to be talking this week and next week, uh, kind of a part one and part two. Um, but I want to I share with you a little bit uh, why I really love living here in Modesto. I, I really, I'm a, I'm a big food person and I love all of the options of food in Modesto. I feel like you can get almost any kind of food and it's, it's all pretty good and and uh, I, love, I love living in Modesto for that reason. I also love the location. Um, I like living here because, because it's just the, 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 it's kind of that connecting point of, of different things that I like to do and different places I like to go. Um, but I also think it's, it's the community. It's, it's that, is that we really live in a, in a, in a community, in a, in a city where people are just different. Um, it doesn't matter what what you are, you can find people different from you in Modesto. Um, I love living here because uh, there's all kinds of people from all kinds of walks in all kinds of environments. I love living here because I have the opportunity to engage all kinds of different people. And some of those people are, are like me and I have things in common with them, but there's a whole bunch of people who I can learn from because they are vastly different from me. And, and they... And they give me a different perspective of life. And, and one of the things that, that, is, that is part of my wiring is if I'm excited about something, you're gonna know that I'm excited about that. Um, probably most of you know, if you've ever heard me or met me, know that I love Mr. T's maple bars. And, and, and here's the thing. I wanna explain why I share that with you so often is because I just want you to have a better life. Because I know, I know, I know donuts, number one, and I know good donuts, and like there is just no better donuts than Mr. T's donuts, and specifically a warm maple bar. And so I really believe that it could increase the quality of life for you if you were to experience that. And, it, and it's funny, because that's just kind of the way I'm wired. If, if there's something I'm excited about, I, I, like, I like tell people about it, and I love to share those things. Like, um, I, 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 I am not happy with the wind today. Um, I don't like cold, and wind is even worse when it's cold, but I found that I love going to cryotherapy. It's when you stand in a chamber for three minutes, and, and it's like negative, you know, like negative 60 degrees in there, and it just, it, but it, 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 it does all kinds of things for like recovering from exercise and like helping with minor, minor stuff, minor illnesses and things like that. And I love it. And I have told all kinds of people to go do that because it's just, I get excited about it and I'm passionate about it. And, and, and here's the thing. My communication comes from a desire to see people's lives be better. And so when I truly feel like something has impacted my life or changed my life in a positive way, then I am, am not hesitant to, to share that with other people because I want their lives to change too. And, and, and here's what's interesting though. Here's what's interesting. I, I could meet anybody um, in our community and I would not hesitate to direct them to a particular restaurant or to Mr. T's. Uh, I would not hesitate. But when it comes 
to sharing about Jesus, there's hesitation and there's tension. Does anyone ever experience that? And, and I think that's a, really, a real thing. And part of it is we live in a culture where, where people are, are, there's a lot of tension and people, uh, people get upset quick. And you don't even have to say something that's bad uh, or, or negative or, or even that's really offensive because we just live in a culture where, where people are just on the verge of angry. When I think about uh, celebrities and, and, and uh, athletes and, and politicians that, that model behavior, um, we have really a lot of poor behavior modeled that, 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 that a lot of people just kind of reflect in our culture. And so, and so it seems like if, if somebody makes a, a mistake, there's just almost a, a, an explosion. And if somebody says something that someone doesn't completely like or agree with, there's a big argument. And so, so we live in a, in a pretty tense culture where things go that direction rather quickly. And, and, and while I've, I've never experienced um, someone yelling at me for uh, directing them to Mr. T's, um, which I'm sure that could happen because there's probably some, I mean, people who would get offended by that. But um, I have experienced that tension and sometimes that rejection when, when I'm talking about Jesus and what he's done in my life and what he can do in your life. And so this is really what, what we're, we're unpacking this week and next week is, is why is it so difficult to share compassionately with others about Jesus and invite them to experience my gospel community. Why does that seem to be different or difficult? And so this week and next week, we're gonna be kind of walking through this and I'd encourage you to, to be here next week, especially because next week we're gonna kind of look at maybe how we do that in, in our culture and how maybe some things that we as a church can do and, be, and make it something that, that, that's a part of us. And, and so if you have your Bibles this morning, I wanna kind of lay the foundation of, 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 of Jesus' message and ministry. So uh, if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter five. I'll turn to Luke chapter five. And, and we're gonna just kind of walk through um, kind of a day in the life of Jesus. Um, <clears throat> to give you kind of the setting, uh, earlier in, in, in chapter five of Luke, um, we'll start in verse 27, but earlier we, we catch up with Jesus and, and Jesus is, is, is doing his public ministry. So Jesus has been out and he's been preaching and he's been teaching and, and crowds have been following him. Uh, people have, 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 are really excited about, about uh, what they're seeing of Jesus. He's, he's developing a following and, and, uh, uh, and he's, he's becoming more and more known as a pretty significant rabbi in, 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 the, in the Jewish culture. And uh, he's got a message that seems different than, than what they hear from a lot of their religious, religious leaders. And, and he has a way of communicating and he speaks with authority that's significant. And, and he's been also kind of dealing with the Pharisees because they're seeing something come from Jesus that, that bothers them, that makes them uncomfortable, that, that they're concerned about. And so, and so Jesus, Jesus has been dealing with the Pharisees Earlier in, in, in Luke 5, he casts a demon out on a Sabbath, which, which um, uh, really benefit the guy he cast the demon out, but, but, but the Pharisees were pretty upset that he did it on the Sabbath. And so he was dealing with that and, and he was going around and he was healing people and he was calling disciples to come and walk with him and follow him and minister with him. And so then we get to, 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 Matthew chapter, or to, to Luke chapter 5, verse 27. And, and here's, here's, what, here's, here's what we catch up with. 
It says, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. After leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made a great feast in his home, and there was a large community of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And so here's, here's, here's what we see, is that Jesus is, is going through town, and Jesus stops at, at this tax booth. I'm assuming it must have been April-ish. And so he stops at this tax booth, and, and, and he, he sees this guy, Levi, who's sitting there. And the reality about tax collectors, if, if, you, if you don't know this, in the first century in, in Israel, among the Jews, what, what the Romans did was they you know, took over kind of the known world, that, that geographical world at that time, and, and and, and, and then they would basically make each culture subservient to them. And so, so they would, they would t- pick people from, from that culture, like Levi, and, and they, would, they, would have, they would offer them a job. And, and so, so the tax collectors would work for Rome, and they would collect the taxes that, that should go to Rome from that, from that nation. And then the problem was that, that oftentimes the tax collectors, because there was no real rules or accountability for them, they would charge over and, 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 and just burden people, and they would make all kinds of money for themselves once they gave the money that Rome expected. And so they were seen by the Jews because they worked for Rome, they were hated, and they were seen as traitors, and they were seen as almost these legal thieves, that they, 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 they would steal from people in a way that there was no, no, way, to, no way to defend yourself against them because it, 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 no one cared and it was legal. And so they would overcharge at times and bring false charges to extort money. They were considered by the Jews to be the worst of sinners put in list alongside of prostitutes and criminals. Now, the information we have about Levi, though, presents us with no evidence that he was a dishonest tax collector. And, and there actually were tax collectors who were trying to do the right thing. I mean, you think about people in occupations where there's a lot of pressure to, to sacrifice integrity or, or to, to cheat or to lie or to be dishonest. And there's people who are, are believers and Christ followers in those areas where they're, they're doing their best to, to follow Jesus and, and actually um, have integrity and, and those kinds of things. We, we see in, in Luke chapter three, actually, where there's a group of tax collectors along with all kinds of different people groups who come to John as he's baptizing. And it says in uh, Luke 3, 12 and 13, it says tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to John, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you were authorized to do. And so here's a group of tax collectors who show up to John the Baptist to be baptized and they say, hey, what must we do to be baptized? And he says, then do this with integrity. And so I would assume many of those tax collectors went, that, went back and maybe some of them already were. And so it's very possible that, 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 that Levi wasn't a cheat or, or a thief or or, or, or somebody like that. But because he was a tax collector, it didn't matter to the Jews or the, the religious leaders because he was a tax collector. And, and, and so Jesus, it's interesting, Jesus invites a person whom the well-respected of society would not consider and he gave 
him an invitation that if you think about, he's a tax collector, and if you think about the reputation they had, the invitation would likely be rejected to come follow Jesus. Yet Levi's response to Jesus was that he left everything to follow him. I mean, that's pretty significant because, because Levi's entire foundation crumbled in that moment because, because he left what he was doing and a steady paycheck, and he went to follow Jesus. And, and, and he was somebody who the society around him and those who were respected already have given up on him and decided that he's condemned and there can be nothing good that comes from him. Yet Jesus goes and invites him. Part of the ministry of Jesus was a posture of invitation. That's how he interacted with people. I mean, when I say posture of invitation, I think we all have a posture that we have when we engage people. Some of us have a posture that, that isn't very welcoming because of how we carry ourselves, how we engage people. But Jesus, his posture was that of, of invitation. He was always inviting people, regardless of where they came from. And, and so Levi, accepting this invitation and saying, I'll follow you, he goes and immediately, the first thing he does is he, he, he has this, he throws this feast, this party at his house. And so he gets all of this food and all of this stuff and he invites all of his friends. Well, he's a tax collector, so he doesn't really have friends who are well-respected or, or, or of an of a area that, that people kind of, kind of appreciate them. And so all of his friends are Tax collectors, probably other people who would hang out with tax collectors because, you know, when you're, when you're part of a group that's rejected, you tend to hang out with other groups that are rejected as well. And so, so he probably was, his friends and the tax collectors who showed up there were not people that the Pharisees and the, the, the moral, upright people would be hanging out with. And, and, and so Levi, he's deeply impacted by Jesus, invites all of these people and coworkers to experience what he had just experienced. He immediately does what Jesus did. He takes a posture of invitation and he says, come to my house because I want you to experience what I just experienced. And, and, and so I wanna stop here for a second and we'll read more We'll read more in the, in the text, but, but it's interesting because the Pharisees are very concerned and angry with Jesus because it doesn't matter who Levi actually was or how he actually lived. What mattered to them was that he was in the sinner category and that he was already condemned. Jesus' interaction alone, not even to mention his invitation to Levi, would make him suspect among those religious leaders at the time. And so Jesus calling Levi to come be his disciple accomplished three things in this moment. One, it was salvation for Levi, that he responded to the call of Jesus. Secondly, it added a disciple to Jesus' 12 disciples. And, and so now Levi is gonna follow him and walk with him and learn to become like Jesus and, and, and carry on the mission and the message of Jesus. And thirdly, in this moment, it created an opportunity for Jesus to explain his ministry and his message to not only Levi's friends, but also the Pharisees who were standing around gathered, interested to see how this would go down. And, and see, Jesus regularly invited people whose context and background was suspect 
or dismissed from active pursuit. Like what, what Jesus did was, was he would go and he would, he would not only invite the people who looked like they would respond to his message, but he went and he invited the people who looked like they probably wouldn't respond to his message. Jesus invited all people. We have a, a, a longtime family friend, um, Tim and Joni Thomas. They've been missionaries all over the world for, for, for years and years and years. And um, I don't know if I've ever met anyone who is a greater prayer warrior than, than Tim Thomas. Um, he's always praying and his, his prayers are powerful. And uh, also, I would say that Tim and Joni have uh, an incredible posture of invitation. Um, they, they were living uh, not far from us for, for a little while um, when they were off the field in Novi, Michigan. And um, they, they were the kind of people who just always had an open door at their house. They, they never locked their doors. I don't even know if they had keys. Um, but, you know, anyone could just walk into their house. Um, and that's just kind of the people they were. Well, Tim, Tim is also, he loves people so deeply and he's an incredible evangelist. And, and so years and years ago, he, he led this uh, young woman to Jesus. And um, of course, he didn't care where she was from or what, what, you know, what she looked like or, or, or what her life was. He just cared that, that she knew about Jesus. And so he, he told her about Jesus and she accepted Jesus. Well, what he didn't realize was um, there was a, a pretty, pretty violent and, and significant um, biker gang in the area, and she was the girlfriend of the guy who led the biker gang. And so he wasn't super excited about her, her experience with Tim. And so um, one night, uh, uh, there's a banging on the door. Um, obviously, they didn't know the door was open, but there was a banging on the door, and Tim came and answered the door, and there's this huge angry biker boyfriend who says that he's going to kill Tim. And so Tim invites him in his home. <laughs> I mean, I guess, you know, it's just easier. <laughs> and so, so he invites him in his home and he sits down with, and he offers him some, some snacks, some, something to drink and he says, well, you know, tell me, you know, you know why are you so angry with me? And, and I, I can understand. And, and he goes through and, and, and within about an hour, this guy repents and gives his life to Jesus. <laughs> and the thing is, you wouldn't look at this guy and say, yeah, he's somebody who might accept an invitation to come to Jesus. You would assume that he's somebody, you'd say, you know what, probably don't even go talk to him. Because he's probably not going to respond. But that's what Jesus did. He went, even when it looked like people weren't going to respond, he went in and invited them anyway. Because see, the, the religious leaders criticized Jesus because they didn't understand his ministry and his message. They refused to even try to understand the new things that God was doing. And really, God wasn't doing anything new. He was doing what he always had done. God was always drawing people in a miraculous way to himself. But it was just being done in a way that, that was, looked different from the way they did it. And so they didn't even try to understand that, that God was doing a work that was different from they, they, they had experienced. And so I think the warning for us is, as we get into this passage is, is often we get stuck in what we've done or been doing and we fail to recognize the new way God is doing what he's always done. That his message doesn't ever change. But sometimes the way you interact with people does. 
And, and so we wanna be careful with that. Keep, continuing on in the, in the passage, verse, verse 31. What Jesus does, he, he, again, he takes this opportunity to explain what his ministry and message is all about to all of Levi's friends and, and the Pharisees. And so he, he does this by, by kind of giving four illustrations. And the first one, in verse 31, he says, he says to, the, to, to all of those who are there, specifically to the Pharisees, he, it says, and Jesus answered them, to those who are well, uh, or those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And, and if you've been in church much, you, you probably have heard those verses uh, mentioned. You've probably read those verses. You've, you've probably, I don't know, maybe even heard them talked about. But, but it's interesting because, because this is one, one of the things that really stuck out to me as I've been, as I've been working through this. And, and I'm going to kind of camp on it for a little bit because I think this is really significant. Jesus, see, the Pharisees saw others as already condemned but Jesus saw others as the sick whom there was hope to help. And, and you see, Jesus saw sin as a disease that will eventually be fatal. And that's what it is, because sin is a disease that we all are born with and will be fatal. And the only way to change that is, is to find that remedy for sin, which Jesus offers. It's to surrender our lives to Jesus and go follow him. But as I was thinking about this, these couple verses and where Jesus describes himself as a physician, and he kind of puts that in contrast to the Pharisees, it hit me. And I began to kind of think a little bit differently about this because I don't think I've ever really thought about these verses this way. Um, a few years ago, uh, a friend of mine um, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And uh, if you know anything about pancreatic cancer, it's kind of that death sentence cancer. Um, not a lot of people recover from that. There's not a lot of people who make it through that and, and beat that cancer. And, and my friend and his wife, their initial reaction to it, which is totally understandable, was kind of denial. Like, this can't be happening. And, and, and so they were looking to find ways of, of finding out that it really isn't true, that the doctor made a mistake, that, 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 that that's not really happening to them. And, 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 and I think maybe even a little later, it became kind of, kind of anger because uh, my friend's wife... Um, when he was diagnosed with, with cancer, um, they found out that, that, that she was pregnant with their second little girl. And so I can totally understand how there would be anger at something like that. Um, eventually, they, they did everything they could, and they tried everything they could because they wanted to beat this. And, and so whatever lifestyle changes, whatever it took, they were gonna do. But ultimately, uh, that cancer ran its course and he passed away. And I think about that and I think about how would you and I react to a loved one if they were given some terrible news about uh, an illness or a disease that they have? And what if that loved one responded with anger? I mean, I mean there's, there's countless doctors who have to give uh, a person pretty bad news about their condition. And oftentimes those patients respond by being angry with the doctor. And that's totally understandable because that, it's not that doctor's fault, but, but they're bringing news that, that I don't want to hear. 
And we don't blame people who are in that situation for being angry, do we? And I mean, the doctor's response isn't, well, don't be mad at me. This is your body and it's your problem. Like, I feel like I'd stop going to that doctor at that point. Like, that's probably not a doctor who you want to go to. And we should all avoid that one. But, but, but that's not how they responded. Or, or, or sometimes, again, people respond with denial. But, but, but how do we handle people who, who are in that place? Do we just say, well, you need to know the truth and you just have to figure, you, you need to accept it. Or people who, sometimes people, when they hear that news, respond by, by isolating themselves. And they draw away. But, but is, is, do we pursue them anyway? I mean, the best case scenario for someone who gets news like that is for them to respond pretty quick with saying, hey, what do I need to do to beat this? What do I need to do to change this? I will change anything in my life, no matter what it costs, so that I can live through this. That's the response we, we hope, and, and that's what we, we want to come alongside and run with. But, but there's a reality that, that anger or denial or isolation, those are all very legitimate and real responses. And we, we, can't, we can't just abandon somebody because they're reacting in a real way to pretty terrible news. And I began to think about what Jesus is saying here and how Jesus is talking about himself as a physician and, 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 and having hope for the sick. When, when, when you've maybe taken that chance and, and, and shared what Jesus has done in your life and, and shared with somebody what Jesus can do for them and, and maybe you've had to tell them that, that what they're doing is sin, that maybe their lifestyle or their behavior and they get angry with you, how do you react to them? Like, well, fine. I mean, I'm just telling you and, and you, you, can't, you don't need to be mad at me. I'm just telling you that what's true. As a good physician in, in, the, in, the, in the way of Jesus, what would someone do if somebody responded with anger? Because you see, the reality is what, what that message is, is saying, very similar to what Levi experienced, probably a lot of the things that you see as the foundation of your life, those things have to be given up because Jesus wants to fill your life. And I can see with that thought process and the threat of losing what I hold on to and I think makes me me, I could be a little defensive, couldn't you? And, and so Jesus understands that, that anger is a pretty normal response to the gospel. That denial is a pretty res normal response. I mean, somebody says, no, I don't believe what you believe and it's not true and uh, I'm gonna believe what I wanna believe, you believe what you wanna believe. Do we respond to those people saying, okay, fine, but you have the truth now and you're responsible and I've done my job. <laughs> is that how you treat a, a loved one who, who finds out that they have cancer and they're in denial? You know the truth, it's your problem now, I'm out. But, but, but when we're, we're may maybe we're sharing with somebody and they deny the truth of Jesus, do we continue to walk with them and say, you know what, but I'll be here. Or when they go into isolation, they try to separate themselves and we have a relationship with them. Do we continue to pursue them and love them and say, and say Jesus can help and I'll be here? I mean, it's easy when they respond by saying, what, what do I need to do? <laughs> What do I need to change? I, I want Jesus more than anything and we can walk them. That's, that's, that's easy for us, isn't it? 
But I think the place where I was really convicted this, this past week and, and over the last few weeks as I've been working on this um, is that I, I don't think I am a physician that reflects Jesus very well. Because I think when somebody gets angry or argues with me, then I get defensive as opposed to recognizing that that's a pretty legitimate response to what they're thinking they may have to give up and they don't quite see how much more Jesus is, how much greater that Jesus is of anything that they could, could give up. And so what would you do if a loved one reacted with anger or denial or the news of illness? And what would you, would you react the same way if someone rejected your invitation to experience what you've experienced in Jesus? Just think about that a little bit. Is, is your posture invitational? And so, and so Jesus acted as a compassionate, understanding doctor to those who were in sin. Moving on, Jesus, Jesus gives this example of a physician. Then he goes on to explain his ministry and mission in verse 33. And he says, and, and so it's interesting here, here that instead of kind of responding to what Jesus just said, the Pharisees are kind of like, yeah, we don't like what we just heard, so we're going to we're gonna ask another question and we're gonna throw, kind of throw more stones at Jesus. <laughs> Instead of saying, yeah, maybe we should think about this for a second, they said, oh yeah, but what about this? So then they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. They, they, they participate in meals, they have feasts. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. And so, and so here, basically what the Pharisees say here is, is they say there's too much celebration, joy, and fellowship going on associated with Jesus' ministry. Nothing wrong, but it's just they are too happy. They are too, they're too much all about about helping each other and, and sharing things and, and being joyful. Because you see, it's interesting, in, in Matthew 6, 16, Jesus talks about fasting, and he says this, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their rewards. See, the Pharisees were really excited to be unhappy, and make sure other people were unhappy. And so Jesus and his ministry seemed to just have too much joy in it. And it's interesting because they come at him and say, you know, the disciples of John fast and, and our disciples fast. We don't see your disciples fasting. You know how we know? Because they're not, they don't look miserable. Because that's how you're supposed to look. You're supposed to look sad and unhappy. Here's what's interesting is the Pharisees weren't even talking about something that was a legitimate complaint. Because in the Old Testament, there was a requirement to fast one day a year. And that was on the Day of Atonement. That's when all of Israel was required to fast. Now you could fast other times, but that was the requirement. Do you know how often by this time the Pharisees had, had created rules to fast? Twice a week. That's a little bit more than once a year and requiring people to do that. And, 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 so, and so Jesus basically says, okay, well, let me talk to you about fasting. Let me talk to you about weddings. And Jesus describes himself as a bridegroom. You see, weddings were huge events 
in the first century in Judaism. They lasted more than a week. And there was all kinds of food and, and everybody, it was an invitable thing. And, and everybody in the community was an, invited. They wanted everyone to show up in the community to share in their celebration, joy, and fellowship of, of celebrating this love between two people and, and their marriage. And so Jesus says, Jesus acted as a bridegroom who wants his guests to enter into the life-changing celebration. In fact, in, in Matthew, he tells a parable and he says this parable of this, 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 these invitations that went out to, to invite people to a wedding feast. And all of these people who were being invited were rejecting the invitations. They couldn't show up. And so, so the, the, the bridegroom says, no, I want you to go out again and I want you to invite Everybody, you don't have to know them. They could just be standing on a corner somewhere. Invite everyone because I want everyone to, to be a part of this celebration. Anyone who will respond, that's who I want to show up. And, 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 so, and, and so, so, so Jesus basically responds to the, the complaint of the Pharisees by saying, yeah, that, that's not really what's important. You see, I've come to give life. And you don't have to look sad and, 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 and fast right now because I'm here. And I'm offering you life and joy and fellowship and celebration. And so, and so there, there's really, there is good reason to rejoice when people are presented with and receive the gospel no matter what walk of life they're from. Jesus goes on in verse 36. And it says, he also told them a parable. No one tears a piece uh, from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear away the new and the piece from the, the new will not match the old. And, and, and so what he's saying there is, is, is he goes into this other thing and, and basically he's talking about like a piece of clothing that's old and you put like new, fresh, uh, untreated uh, uh, material on that and then you put it in there but then it, it shrinks and it starts to tear and, 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 and ruin the, the garment that's there. And so he says, I don't, what this is, this isn't a patchwork of things. You see, legalism had corrupted what God had given to Israel because probably what was good motivations originally with the Pharisees of helping people honor God and then turned into something that became this, this rules-based legalistic approach to God, which was never what God intended because Jesus was always the fulfillment of the law. It was never a salvation by works plan. From the very beginning in the garden, God said, this is how it's gonna work. I will send my son to bring salvation to these people. And, and, and so the garments in scripture often were used to, to picture character and conduct. In Isaiah 61, the prophet talks about a, a robe of righteousness that God clothes his people. In Colossians 3, 8 through 17, Paul talks about how we need to put off what we're wearing and put on the things that characterize Jesus. And so you see, Jesus is not about mixing our way with his way, like a patchwork garment, Jesus is committed to transforming you and I to fully reflect his way. Not a patchwork of me and him and the world around me. Jesus says, I want, I want you to reflect me and only me. And that's my, my commitment to you. Jesus has so much to offer and he doesn't want us to be a hybrid of sorts. He wants us to look like him. 
You see, Jesus will clothe anyone who responds to his invitation with his righteousness. We sang about that at the very beginning of the service. That I'm righteous. Why? Because we've been clothed. If we've surrendered to Jesus, we've been clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And so then he, he finishes kind of explaining, using this opportunity to explain his ministry and mission to those who've gathered there, friends of Levi and the Pharisees. In verse 37, he says, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins and no one after drinking old wine desires new for he says the old is good. And so Jesus says, you see, what they would have understood is, is if, if unfermented wine is put into old brittle wineskins, the gas that, that's emitted there will burst the skins and all will go to waste. And so Jesus is speaking of the new covenant that he brought with him, which is the fulfillment of the old covenant. What Jesus says is, I have new life to give to you and we need to, we need to reject our old life. Uh, Paul puts it this way, the, the new man replacing the old man. And, and so Jesus says, I want to make you new. And so he's saying that I want all of you to become new. And that's what I'm offering you. And that's the invitation that I'm giving. And, and, and see, the Pharisees promoted an insider and unwelcoming religious system. But Jesus invited outsiders to participate alongside those who, had, who already had a relationship with God. Jesus said, if you're willing to respond to my invitation, there's room for you. Yet the Pharisees created all of these, these hurdles and barriers, saying you have to do these things specifically to even have a chance of being righteous. Jesus says, no, what you need to do is surrender to me and I will give you new life. The old will pass away and I will give you new. And so, so here we see this incredible picture in Luke chapter five of Jesus' invitational posture. That's what characterized his mission and his message. And so there's, there's a few implications, I think, of this. And, 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 I, and, and, and there's some principles that I think I take out of this that are principles of Jesus as I read this. And, and I see the life of Christ and the ministry of Christ. And the first principle is this, that the growth of God's kingdom and family comes through the invitational posture of God's people. The growth of God's kingdom and family comes through the invitational posture of God's people. How did the kingdom of Jesus grow while he was on earth in ministry? It was his invitation. He invited people into it. So what do you think God's plan for the growth of the church and his kingdom is today? That God's people reflect Jesus in his invitational posture. The only way that the kingdom of God is going to grow, because this is how God has chosen to work, is through us taking invitational posture with those around us. Second principle that I take out of this is, is that the invite list includes everyone, not just those who seem like they'll respond. God's invite list of those he wants to invite into his kingdom includes everyone. 
not just people who look like they might respond to it. And then finally, the the last principle that I take out of this is, is this, that we are called to reflect the spirit and character of Jesus as we interact with those far from God. We are called to reflect the spirit and character of Jesus as we interact with those who are far from God. That's that idea of of that physician. That in love, in in patience and kindness and honesty, we, we share with people around us. We share what we've experienced in Christ. We share what... What, what God calls us to do and how God calls us to live. And, and we share those things. And even when we're met with anger, we recognize that that's a pretty legitimate response. And it doesn't offend us. It doesn't cause us to become defensive. But it reminds us that this person has been told that they're terminal. And whether they're angry or denying it or or trying to isolate, that it's still important for us to be doctors in the spirit of Jesus. And then when people respond and say, what must I do? Then just run with it. But don't leave the others behind because they're hurting just as much as you and I were once hurting. Because you see, we are all, those of us who've surrendered to Jesus, we're survivors, We're in the survived this illness category of people and we want to to bring as many people into that category as possible. You see, these principles apply to every person who's expressed faith in Jesus. It's not for guys like Tim Thomas who are just masters of evangelism. It's for every one of us to live this way and walk this way. And so, so I would challenge you this week, through the week, I, w- I would challenge you to kind of do a self-assessment because next week, as I said, we're gonna be looking at some specifics of how we, as, as individuals in a church, as a church, we can take this invitational posture that Jesus took. So I encourage you to be here next week, but, but, but pr- prepare for it. And I want you to ask yourself these three questions. First question is this. Are you passionate and grateful about what God is doing in you? Are you passionate and grateful about what God is doing in you? You see, if you're not grateful for what Jesus has done for you, I'm not sure how you can express that to others. And if you're not grateful for what Jesus has done for you, then I'm not sure if you've experienced Jesus. Because Jesus has has saved your life. He gave his life for your life. And he is committed to transforming you and replace anything that you've given up, anything that you've lost with so much more. Secondly, do you want to better reflect Jesus? And I would assume that any of us who are passionate and grateful about what Jesus has done in their lives, I would guess that you then do want to better reflect Jesus because if you are honestly responding in gratitude and you're passionate about what Jesus is doing, then, then, then you do want to reflect Jesus. But then here's the hard question. Here's the the last one for this kind of self-assessment. How willing are you to consider shifting your life and behavior to become more invitational on God's behalf? Because that's where it gets hard, doesn't it? I'm grateful for what Jesus has done and I'm passionate about what he's doing in my life 
and I want to better reflect Jesus, but how willing am I to shift my behavior and my life to become more, to take that Jesus invitational posture as I walk through my culture and engage people? That's, I think, the, the question that I really want us to wrestle with because, because see, that brings us to a place, if, if you're a little bit willing, then pray that God grows your willingness. If you're medium willing, then pray that God grows your, your willingness. If you're like, I'm on board, I'm willing, what do I have to do to change, to be more in an invitational posture that reflects Jesus? Because see, even to this, some of us might respond with denial and say, no, 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 that's not my gifting. Or some of us might respond with anger to say, no, 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 I, I, I like where I am right now in my life with Jesus and I don't want to upset my comfort. I'm not gonna leave you behind because Jesus wants you to become more like him. And so wrestle with that this week and come back ready to be challenged by Jesus, to be challenged by the Holy Spirit, to look more like who God wants you to look like. I invite the prayer team to come forward. And after I close in prayer, um, if you want prayer this morning, please come forward and, and pray with one of these people. Let me, let me pray for us. Father, we come before you this morning and I thank you so much for your love. Jesus, for how you took a posture with me, regardless of, of if I looked like I might respond or I wouldn't respond. Father, I thank you that you were willing to invite me into a relationship with you. Father, I thank you for, for the people you placed in my life who took that invitational posture and told me that I was invited. And Father, I thank you for those who, who brought me into their gospel community so that I could experience what you have for me. Father, I pray that we would share that posture, that we would remember how you've reached us. And the God, that our lives would better reflect you. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.